Almighty God, we ask you, Lord, come teach us by your Holy Spirit. Whatever has been prepared, we yield it to you. Uh, we ask that you prepare our hearts also, that you will speak into our situations, you will teach us so that we can serve you more appropriately and more accurately also. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Tonight's title is called Repayment Plan. On 7th January 2015, two brothers went into the office of the satirical weekly newspaper, Charlie Hebdo, and they killed 11 people, and they injured 11 others. And you know that this was done in retaliation of certain cartoons that they found offensive against their religion and their leader. And this cartoon strip was done after that massacre, and it really represents it very appropriately. All the cartoonists submit, submitted all the different cartoon caricatures, but this one was very appropriate, where it says the caption, he drew first. Of course, it plays on that word of, you know, the guy drew the cartoon first, and so I, I draw my gun to kill him. But this is a very good example of retaliation. That's a topic that we are going to examine tonight. Not just retaliation, but also revenge. And in society today, all around the world, we are seeing a lot more of these things happening in the name of something or other. But as we consider this, we may look at it and we say, but I won't do this one. That's not what we would do. We won't do something like that. But the point is, I think the truth is, we do encounter this in our daily lives. That if someone should upset us, we will have no qualms striking back. I remember as a young boy growing up, we would watch uh, kung, fu fight, uh, kung fu shows, movies, or the Chinese period dramas. And maybe the first two Chinese words I learned was, were pao chou, revenge. Everything pao chou. And it always starts with a long, long time ago, someone kills someone and the little baby sees it or the little baby is stashed away and he or she grows up and what do they do? Pao chou. Right? So from a young age, we learn that. Today on the roads, we have road rage. If you cut into my lane... Maybe I'll speed up and cut into yours. Okay, if you stare at me, I will stare at you. Some may raise up a finger. And I hope that I will not retaliate with the same finger. And is it not typical also of arguments between all of us sometimes, right? You say one word, I will say one word. You say one line, I'll match you with that one line. You raise your voice, I will raise mine. We may not do what the people did to the Charlie Hebdo killing, but we also retaliate in these ways. A funny one I was thinking about also is that we even do it to Ang Pao's, you know that? Do you realize? You don't laugh. Maybe to the older people, I hope we are not doing it, you record the wedding Ang Pao. How much do you give my son or my nephew or, you know, when, when they got married, how much did that, was Ang Pao? I give the same. Cannot give more, cannot give less. So you say, do we do it? Yes, we do. Somehow there exists this justice in us that if something is done, we have to give it back in that same way. So tonight, we want to see what does our king say? What is the repayment plan? Now you understand why the title is called repayment plan, right? What is the repayment plan of the kingdom of God? So we read in Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 to 42, You have heard that it was said, An eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. 
This is another one of those familiar passages, but I question us sometimes. We may only know what is familiar, that eye for eye, tooth for tooth, and maybe slap and turn the other cheek. But do we really understand the context? Do we understand what Jesus was really teaching and how can it be applied in our daily lives? Let's go to an Old Testament context and let's understand in the time before the law was instituted, before Israel went into the land, the promised land, Canaan land, the rule of the land or the law of the land was there are no rules. It's as simple as that. Whatever the king determines, if he was a good mood, then it would be a good day. If he was in a bad mood, then it was in a bad day. It was every man for himself. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. They took upon themselves how to administer personal justice. And if they feel that it is appropriate, then they will administer revenge also. And so truly, if you were to upset someone and this person gets upset with you, he can retaliate. Now, you may not be happy with that retaliation, so you can retaliate. Now, he is not happy with your retaliation of his retaliation, so he can retaliate. So can you see that if you continue in that frame, then what you will have is an endless cycle of retaliation. It will never end. That was the rule of the land, okay? Everyone would do as according to how they felt. Then Israel gets into the land and we find that, of course, they are given the Mosaic law. And within the Mosaic law, in the way they would govern themselves, we find the law of retaliation, or it's called the Lex Talionis. The law of retaliation. And Jesus was referring to this law when he was making this teaching. We can look at three passages, and I want you to note the context as well as the specifics of this law and the items that are found within it. The very first section or the first passage we find this is in Exodus chapter 21, verses 22 to 25. Now, broadly, you can summarize, actually, it talks about two men fighting, and somehow a woman gets hurt. The woman is with child, and there's a premature birth through accidental injury. Now, we won't read this entire passage for the interest of time. But you see that this law would be applied in this context. She suddenly gives birth, the baby comes out, and if there's no harm, no problem, but if there is harm, then you shall give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. So if you want to be very, very literal, you have to give birth prematurely for, before you can even apply this law. The second one we find in Leviticus chapter 24, verses 17 to 22. And it says, whoever kills any man shall surely be put to death. Whoever kills an animal shall make it good, animal for animal. And verse 19, if a man causes disfigurement of his neighbor as he has done, so shall it be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. As he has caused disfigurement of a man, so shall it be done to him. So we see that in this passage, this law was to govern injury that was intentional. You're fighting, right? So if this guy takes out the eye, then the judgment must be you have to then lose your eye. It has to be fair in that sense. So first one, premature birth, accidental injury. Second one, we see intended injury, cause of disfigurement. The third one, we find in Deuteronomy chapter 19, verses 15 to 21. And broadly, this was to deter false witnessing because you are not supposed to bear false witness. So there's a law that is there broadly to say that if you, if you give a false witness, if you provide something that is untruthful, remember last lesson we were talking about oaths, right? Now this is an extension of that, false witnessing. Now if you do that, you're wanting a sentence to be passed on a certain person. 
and then you are found out that you have been a false witness, the sentence that should have been passed on that person will be meted out on you. Now imagine if you are called to that witness stand. This is the law that would come into place, you see. So you better think carefully. Are you going to tell the truth? Or are you going to tell a lie? Because if you tell a lie and it's found out, then whatever was so-called due to that person, it can be turned against you. So can you see this law of retaliation in these three examples? They're very, very specific. It is actually to protect certain groups of people in certain situations. But what we saw previously is that the rule of the land was anything goes. The law, when it was finally put in place, was actually radical. They implemented a principle of proportional justice as well as exact retribution. In other words, if you lose something, you cannot claim more or beyond what you had lost. If you think about this, this was radical in those days. No one had ever heard of something like that before. Suddenly, these things are put in place and the people would be governed according to this. It is an advancement that truly set the people of God apart from the people of the land. This law was put in place to define justice as well as to restrain revenge. And this is a law that would determine what the compensation should be, that it might not be excessive. Now listen to this. This law wasn't put in place so that compensation must be demanded. You see the two different things here? So if you understand the principle of this law, we begin to have a better idea of why it was given and for what reason. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 38, You have heard that it was said. By now you should understand this phrase, right? <laughs> that means something is not correct already. They have taken this law and they have taken it into their own hands with their own interpretation. By the time of Jesus, this law was abused. It was also misused. Quite apart from life for life, because that's capital punishment and they would you know, put it to the judiciary system. For all other matters, they began to use this law and applied it for themselves and by themselves. They took it as permission for me to demand justice. Every small thing you do to me, I can do the same thing to you. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And they applied it in the most bizarre way. And one commentator wrote, a law that was designed to prevent actions of personal retaliatory revenge is now used to justify it. They turn it upside down. You see, they messed up the entire principle of the law. It was no longer just a law of retaliation. It became a law of tit for tat. I have the right, so I will exercise it. I will do it. And they would use this against one another to the letter of this law. It's interesting that Gandhi made a comment on this eye for an eye, right? Gandhi says, an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. And it is true. If we really follow it to the letter, I think we would have a lot of blind people amongst all of us. So Jesus comes in and he says, look guys, one more time. You've got it all wrong. Your interpretation is just, just wrong. So he says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, and now we know this phrase, but I tell you means this is the right way to interpret and how you will apply this principle. He says, I tell you not to resist an evil person. Do not resist an evil person. The first thing we have to define is how do we understand someone who is evil? What constitutes an evil person? Let me suggest to you three qualifiers. Of course, you can add more. An evil person would be one who is morally questionable. 
You don't know where his morals are. He has his own standards. He defines things for himself and by himself. An evil person possibly will be very likely selfish. He's only thinking about himself. And he's also unreasonable. If he wants it, if he says, or if she says it's right, then it's right means it's right by their own judgment. And I think in the context of spirituality, an evil person is also one who is spiritually dead, i.e. not a believer, or one who is spiritually immature. That means can be a person of the family of God or the kingdom of God, but spiritually just not growing, you know, refuses to know the things of the kingdom. In Jeremiah chapter 13, verse 10, Jeremiah looks at the people of God, Israel, and he says this, this evil people, now these are God's people, huh? Now you might be careful, whenever the prophets say this of their own people, we have to look at ourselves and say, we are also God's people. So I think there's something to learn from this. This evil people, now here are his qualifiers, why are they evil? Who refuse to hear my words. That's point one. So if we are disobedient to God, anyone who's disobedient to the ways of God, that's cause for saying that this person might be fringing towards moving towards evil. Who follow the dictates of their hearts. They're selfish. You see that? All they are concerned about is themselves, what they want and what they like, their own self-fulfillment. And these also walk after other gods to serve them and to worship them, which means they are idolatrous. That would be his definition of the evil people of his time. And that's why I share with you someone who is morally questionable, someone who is selfish, unreasonable, spiritually dead, idolatrous, going after other things, and also immature. Jesus says, if these are the people coming against you, if these are the people making demands upon you, if these are the people wanting to apply this law against you, don't resist this person. Now, for us, we look at this and, man, you're like, oh, yeah, you're right, you know, it's really radical. I mean, can you imagine? He wants to come and take things from me, demand things from me, exercise his right according to the law, and you're telling me, don't retaliate. Don't do anything to him. Now, hold this thought for a while. Because R.T. Kendall actually writes this in his commentary in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, do you know, by the way, the cruelest thing you can do to your enemy, an evil person is possibly like an enemy, right? The cruelest thing you can do to your enemy is to do nothing. Because if you do nothing, God will step in. And He will get revenge better than you could have. Who wants to say amen? But is it difficult to live this out? Tough, right? And if you want to be nice to your enemy, then take vengeance into your own hands. You will mess up every time. I think this is a great quote. So Jesus is saying, don't, don't resist. Don't retaliate. And if you're like me, I'll listen to this and I say, well, easy for you to say. We say, this is radical. Non-retaliation is radical. But can I surprise you? Jesus does not stop at non-retaliation. Because we're going to explore the second part, the next part of this one verse. And this is actually what Jesus is trying to teach the people. He said, this is the spirit of the law. I don't want you to strike back. It's okay, I don't strike back. I tahan, I hold myself, I support. Rest this anger, everything against my will. I'm going to whack this guy, but I will suppress it. No, don't just don't strike back. Don't just don't suppress yourself. I want you to surprise them. I want you to surprise them. You think the first two was difficult to do? You try the third one. This is really crazy. This is kingdom repayment plan. You're not supposed to strike back. You're not even supposed to hold yourself back as if that's not difficult enough. You are supposed to go surprise them. So he goes on with four situations that he cites. And let's explore this very, very quickly. He says, whoever slaps you on your right cheek, what's the first thing you want to do? You want to strike back, right? You want to slap him on the cheek. Or maybe you think you're doing quite well. If you hold back, you suppress, right? You hold back. Jesus says, no, surprise them. Turn the other cheek. 
I'm very happy to announce that I don't think Jesus was talking literally. Right? Remember, he was talking about if your eye causes you to sin, go dig it out. No, it's a figure of speech. So thankfully, this is a figure of speech. And in those days, if someone slaps you on the cheek, that, that phrase, it just means someone insults you. If someone insults you, it's, it's verbal abuse. It can also be slander. It can be gossip. If someone is doing this to you, by the law, they will allow, if you slap me, I can slap you back. So you call me a name, I can call you another name. Because it's an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And you can even take this person to court and, and sue this person for slander, for libel or defamation. Do you think it's still happening today? Definitely so. Is it happening in the body of Christ? Sure have one now. Okay? And so Jesus is really saying here, if someone talks bad about you, someone is trying to malign you, someone is trying to assassinate your reputation, give you a bad name, say bad things about you, don't, don't retaliate. Don't even have to protect your name. Don't have to say, oh, yo, my reputation is ruined, you know. You give me no face. Jesus says, let it go. Never mind. Let him have his day. Let him call, let him call you 10 more names. Just let him do it. It's all right. Instead, just bless him. He call you a name, you call him a good name. He call you a bad name, you bless him in Jesus' name. Radical? Right? It goes against our every fiber. Now, one quick note before we leave this first situation. Jesus is not saying, I believe, not to protect ourselves against physical abuse. Sometimes we look at this and we think, you know, if someone slaps you, you say, oh, turn it. And some people have taken this to an extreme that they will never carry rifles or they will not carry weapons. What if a woman is being raped? Do you stand one side, you know, and say, it's okay, you know, Jesus says, carry on. I don't think Jesus meant that. You can challenge me on this, but I don't think he meant that. All right? Once we understand the phrasing, we begin to understand the context. And Jesus is saying that if you are abused verbally, your reputation is being affected, it's all right. Turn the other cheek. Let it go. Let them have their day. Bless them. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 40, he goes on to the second example. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. So this is the case where someone is making a claim on you. And it's not just any old claim. It probably will be an unreasonable claim because the context is don't resist an evil man. If a person was not evil, that claim would have been reasonable. It would have been fine. Okay? So this very possibly would be a dispute that arises because the claim was or is unreasonable. Now let's understand this. The law encouraged lending without any interest. The law actually says that you can lend, but don't, don't ask for any interest. But if you need a guarantee, a collateral, you can ask for a pledge. That's all there is. And again, extending from the last teaching, if your yes is a yes, and your no is a no, then your word is good. You don't really even need this pledge. All you need to say is, I definitely will return it to you. I will pay and that would be good, right? So you can see how the, the teachings are now sort of uh, supporting one another. The law, the spirit of the law just says this. No, land, be open, just, just give. You can ask for a pledge, that's fine. But honor that person. Don't even go into the person's house to get the pledge. You wait outside. You find that in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 10 to 13. Wait outside so that the person will come and give you the pledge. And as you take this pledge, by the end of the day, this is the pledge, right? Return it before the sun sets. Because the person might need it as his blanket. It might be a cold night and the person needs this pledge, which is usually the tunic or the cloak, you know, for the person to wear it. And that's all that they have. And the next day, you can 
take back the pledge one more time, you see? And this was how beautiful the law was. It was just to govern relationships between people. But if a person wants to be uh, unreasonable and make a claim, then a person goes in there and says, I'm going to sue you for this tunic because you don't even want to give that to me or, you know, he's getting upset about something else. Today's context, it might be a personal loan or an agreement between two parties. You say you'll do something for me or I'll lend you something, you say you return it to me. Uh, just between two persons. And it's an honor system, right? Like, that's what we have realized. It's a yeah, yeah, or nay, nay. Simple as that. Please don't take this and go to the banks and try to enforce this. It's not going to happen for you, okay? The financial institutions will, will, will kick you out. I'm saying here, between two parties, I pledge, I say, I will give. But what if this other person goes crazy? And this person wants to sue you for everything. What is Jesus saying here? If anyone wants to sue you, and take away your tunic, that's the only one you have, let him have your cloak also. Radical again, right? He's saying, don't just pay the person, give him even more. Let him take anything he wants. Let him have his day. Let God fight this for you. That's the way of the kingdom. That's the repayment plan. Point number three, if you're still with me and you'd like to continue... How crazy this sounds for many of us today. And this might be in a category of unreasonable demands and requests. Matthew chapter 5, verse 41. Whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. In those times, in, under Roman law, the Romans could compel. And that, that, that word is very strong. You can force a person in the conquered land to carry a load for one mile. And after one mile, if you drop everything that you're carrying, that's fine. The Jews obviously hated the Romans and hence they would comply, not willingly, but grudgingly. One example in the Bible would be Simon of Cyrene. If you remember, he was just there minding his own business, was there for the feast, and he was made to carry the cross of Jesus. So that was the rule of that time. The Roman could compel this person to go one mile, but Jesus says, go with him too. What's today's equivalent of, a, of this context? Maybe you have an unreasonable boss. Six o'clock, you're going to leave to come for Kingdom 101 and suddenly he drops this whole ton of work for you. What are you going to do? Right? Or an unreasonable request by someone to, that, that takes up time, that takes up energy, that uses up effort, that causes you inconvenience. What are you going to do? Jesus says, do whatever that needs to be done and more. Just do your very, very best. Don't do just enough and then put it down. The spirit of the kingdom is like that, right? So sometimes we also, we scratch our head, right? You know, how, how, what, what do you need me to do? Huh? Just like that, enough? Then stop. One hour, finish, huh? I'm going already, bye. Whether the work is done or whether the work is not done. The fourth example that Jesus gives is found in Matthew 5.42. Give to him who asks and from him who wants to borrow from you do not turn away. So here we find a line that talks about material or perhaps money needs. Giving assistance. Lending to someone. Someone who wants to borrow. It could be money or it could be an item. Something that they need. As we have already seen, the law encouraged giving and helping the poor. The law actually says that if you have, don't withhold. Give. Lend it to them. Lest they cry out to God and it will be worse for you. That was what the law was encouraging. But by the time it came to the abuse of the system, the Pharisees and the scribes and perhaps also the rich people, I mean, they were the only ones that were able to lend something or to issue a loan of sorts. 
they made it into a money lending system and I think they worked in a system of repayment. Who knows, the interest might have been like a, a, a Judean along. Okay, um, a, a loan shark kind of thing, right? To say that if you don't pay, then uh, we're going to demand this of you because this is what the law says, we can exact it from you. And perhaps that's why Jesus was giving this example of people suing others for their tuning and even removing everything that they have. The law encourages the giving of, or lending to these freely to help the poor, especially those who are in need. Jesus says, give to him who asks, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. It doesn't stop there. If you look at a parallel passage in Luke chapter 6, verses 34 and 35, Jesus says, and if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? So in, the, in Matthew, it just says, look, don't, don't be so calculative. Just give to them. Lend it to them if you are able to. But in Luke, he continues and he says, give and don't hope to receive anything back. This is radical, isn't it? Right? So anyone who comes to want to borrow from us, if we have the means, we will say, yes, no problem. I will lend this to you. Now you have to stop. You're not supposed to say, I'll lend this to you. Huh? When are you paying back? 12 installments. Huh? I give you a very good rate. We're not even supposed to say all those things. We are just supposed to lend. If they return, they return. If they honor it, they honor it. If they don't, you have blessed someone. Sometimes people will call me and ask me, someone is asking for this money, you know, do you think I should lend? I said, I can't tell you whether you should lend. All I can tell you is, if you decide to lend, treat it as gift. If you decide to lend someone, don't hope to get it back. Because if you're hoping to get it back and the person for any reason is unable to return that amount or runs away with that amount, you are going to be so disappointed, especially when it's a brother or sister from the church. And so I can't tell you whether you should lend or shouldn't lend. I know what God's heart is. But you have to make a decision for yourself. If you want to lend, you never expect anything back. So in our context today, if someone needs something, and they ask for money. Consider this. These are the words of Jesus. I'm not asking us to be silly. I'm not asking us to finance a credit card lifestyle. If the person keeps gambling and so on, okay, it doesn't mean that, oh, we love, well, I must show grace, well, you know, keep giving and keep giving and keep giving. I, I don't think the Lord was saying about something like that. Okay, he was really pointing to the down and out. And in those days, the distance between the rich and the poor was so wide. And isn't it true that today the income gap is also widening in our country? And so these are the four things. If someone slaps you verbally, abuse you, slander you, gossip you, don't defend. If someone makes an unreasonable claim, just honor that, pay it. And you say, you want someone? I'll, I'll pay you more than that, that's, that's necessary. If someone makes an unreasonable demand or request upon you, do that well and do it over and above what is expected. If someone is asking for material help or monetary assistance, then you give. No strings attached. Just bless that person. This is the kingdom repayment plan. And it really it's based on some key principles. And I thought, if I share these principles with all of us, it can help us understand it better. And perhaps we will then pray, say, Holy Spirit, will you help me? Because I know by myself, I'm still functioning by eye for eye and tooth for tooth kind of a thinking, you see. Right? So the first principle is this, that if we are offended, or when we are offended, insulted, or unjustly treated, the key is to remember not to retaliate, but instead 
remember to surprise, to bless. This is the last thing that the person is expecting. Now, he may not know that or she may not know that you're blessing this person. But this is how we are supposed to respond. Because this is an extension of the beatitude that we have learned before in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. See, retaliating, revenge, does not promote peace. It does not make peace. It does not bring things into harmony, into a shalom. But if you would bless, and if you break this cycle of retaliation, you may not see any change in this person. You may not see any positive result in the near future. But one day, can God not work in the heart of this one person? Yes, possible. But we don't give and we don't bless thinking that you know, we must see that result. We do it because we are following the lead of our master. And I admit and I confess, and you can agree with me too, that this is not easy for us to do. It is only possible for one who walks according to the Spirit. All the Beatitudes, everything on the Sermon on the Mount, if you're going to try to do it by your own strength, you're going to fail. You're going to be so upset, you're going to be so disappointed, and you're going to be so discouraged, and you say, forget it, I'm not coming to these lessons anymore. It's just making me feel lousy about myself. I can't live up to this standard. We can't, and that's why we need the Holy Spirit. If we go by the work of the flesh, then we will respond by that work of the flesh that if you poke my eye, man, I'm going to poke you more than one eye. That's us. It has to be by the Spirit. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called what? Sons of God. Now in Romans chapter 8, verse 14, For as many as are led by the Spirit, these are sons of God. Exactly the same phrasing, right? It's the Spirit that's been given to us that we can cry, Abba, Father, that we are now sons of our Heavenly Father. The Spirit has to lead us and we have to follow this lead. Paul does the same teaching in Romans chapter 12, he says, Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire upon his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We have to learn to obey the words of Jesus. We've got to let God be the judge. He says, I will repay. You want the best repayment plan? Let God do the repaying. All right, It's not for us to... To, to count all these things because He is the ultimate judge. And I think it, it takes a lot for us to remember that, that ultimately God is going to come through for us. But if we will do all these things to those who are unjustly treating us, it says there that we, are, we will be heaping coals of fire upon the head. Now I know many people read this and say, well, shock man, you know, if I can just call fire upon you. But this is not what it means, right? There are two ways to understand coals of fire. Because in those days, when a fire goes out, a person has to look for hot coals to restart that fire or he will freeze. Now, what does he do? He actually goes out to this person or to a place where there's coal, and presumably if it's in your house or in your place, you will give them coals of fire and he carries these back on his head. So you're actually helping that person restart a fire and also to bless him. So coals of fire doesn't mean calling curses on people. Yeah? It is also interpreted as an Egyptian rite. That for them to carry hot coals on the head is to do it as a sign of repentance. Now, of course, we pray that as we would live according to the ways of Jesus, that one day, that heart will be softened. That heart will be touched. And as we heap coals of fire upon them, perhaps 
there would be a heart of repentance that we'd be moved to trust the Lord. The second principle for us to remember is that the onus is on the one who is spiritual. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. Now, if you know your Bible, Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 comes immediately after that entire passage of the works of the flesh contrasted with the fruit of the Spirit. If anyone is overtaken in any trespass, if someone is unreasonable towards you, calling you names, slandering you, making unreasonable demand, and trespassing upon what might be correct for you, you who are spiritual, you who are spiritual, what does it mean, you who are spiritual? Obviously, in the context, you who bear the fruit of the Spirit, you who are spiritual, the one who is led by the Spirit, the one who has the Holy Spirit, you who are a son of God, you restore. The onus is always upon the one who is spiritual. The craziest thing for us and the saddest thing always is when you hear Christians, but he, huh? But she, huh? But they, huh? But if they didn't that, I won't, you know? And it's always pointing here and there. Then you're always telling them, but you know, but we are the Christians, lay. You know, we are the one who came for the teaching. Don't you remember what the pastor say? He said, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he, huh? <laughs> Do you realize that? Or we will turn it around and we say exactly the same thing. Call himself a Christian. Go and do Bible study for what? Go and this for what? Go and do for what? I say, wait, 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 hang on, hang on. It doesn't sound good on yourself. If you think you are more spiritual, you who are spiritual, take that first step. You have to restore. Let it go. Bless that person, right? We, we speak upside down. We don't realize we're actually shooting ourselves in the foot. So, my dear brothers and my sisters, you know, next time you are tempted to sound like a donkey going, hee-haw, <laughs> don't, okay? Because you really will feel like a donkey after that. Stop, check yourself and say, if I am one who has the Holy Spirit, if I'm living and being led by the Holy Spirit, the onus is on me. I will take that first step. Holy Spirit, you help me. You help me. I don't want to do this, but you help me and you guide me. Do you know that this is an expected response of God's kingdom people? Let me read this to you in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tender-hearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. Now, these are the words of the Apostle Peter. Now, we all know Peter, right? If anyone was going to shoot a word off his mouth, it would have been Peter. And here he is now telling you, don't do that. Okay? Do you realize that these two verses that I have just read to you, they are really summary statements from what we are very familiar with. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. That we are a chosen generation. That we are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We are God's special people. Called out of a darkness into His marvelous light. You know, who did no mercy, were not His people. Now we have no mercy. Now we are His people. And then these two verses come in. You can't declare an identity without knowing how to live out that identity. And so I say this is an expected response of God's kingdom people. And Peter was really very practical because if you read onwards, what you see is that Peter tells us how to conduct ourselves in the world. You find this in chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, all the way through. 
submission to government. Do good, so that you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. So it doesn't matter which government you vote. Whatever it is, do your best as kingdom people. You can make your case, you can state your case, but after that, live as kingdom people. This is what it is. Secondly, be submissive to masters. Bracket, unreasonable bosses. Peter says this. When you do good and suffer, take it patiently. This is commendable before God. After that, he talks to wives. Submission to husbands. Bracket, unreasonable men. Don't try and win them over, you know, with all your words. Anything you can do, I can do better. You want to say to me, I will say this to you. Right? If the husband and wife want to tuck and tuck and tuck and tuck, you'll never end. And that's why we see so many couples are fighting with one another. And Peter is saying, look, if your husbands are unreasonable, win them over by your conduct, not your words. Just in case the men think you're getting away, it says submission to wives. Bracket, unreasonable women. Why? Because it says husbands likewise. Let me see in the same way. Dwell with them with understanding. And you must be careful so that your prayers will not be hindered. Practical, right? And at the end, he says, submission to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. See? See, this is expected of all of us. We want to declare we are the chosen generation. We are a holy nation. We are a royal priesthood. We are God's special people. Oh, we love all these things. But will we live as how God desires. Let me close with this one question. Are you still planning how to repay or are you still seeking repayment? You know, if you'll be honest and you search your heart, maybe you're thinking, someone said something to you today, this week. How do I say something back? In a nice Christian way, slap him without him knowing. Or how are you seeking repayment? Someone has upset you and you want to claim this back. I hope this teaching would have helped you at least to consider and to ponder once more. All I can say is that it's not easy. We know that if we rely on the flesh, we're going to fail over and over again. We definitely need a heart yielded to our master and one that's led by the Holy Spirit. I may have experienced some of these things in part, and more recently, a little bit more real and close and more practical in my lives. And at times, I may have responded correctly, but I can tell you I still struggle a lot with whatever I've just shared with you. Okay? And so I'm still learning. If you're looking to me as a worthy example of this teaching, I can say that you probably will be disappointed at some stage. And so I want to point you to a perfect example. And I think it's good that we close with this passage. Since we have been reading from 1 Peter, he continues in chapter 2, 21 to 25. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example. This is the example that we must follow. That you should follow his steps. Christ who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. That we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This is the example we have, amen? And we know he is the perfect example. And each time we struggle, this is where we must remind ourselves, this is what it means to look to Jesus as an example. And in case you have forgotten, when Judas betrayed him, Jesus called him friend. 
when Peter cut off the ear of the slave, Jesus healed that slave. When the soldiers literally struck Jesus on his cheek, if you want to take that literally, he really had someone slap him on the cheek. And as they mocked him, Jesus did not retaliate, but allowed them to continue hitting him, fulfilling prophecy. The soldiers took his garment, both his garment, and as well as his tunic to fulfill scripture. So if anyone had his clothes taken away, Jesus did everything. And he hung there naked for all of us. And when he was there, when the people insulted him, derided him on the cross, he looked at them and he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He's the best example. And we must always remember that. Whatever you and I go through or might go through or have gone through, I know nothing compares to what Christ has gone through for all of us. All right, so as we close, let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit to help us to be convinced and to know that God's repayment plan is always the best repayment plan. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your words. And we confess and we admit, Lord, these are tough words. It is so easy for us to retaliate, to retort, to rebut, to save our own face, to hide our own shortcomings, to defend ourselves. It's so easy to do that, Lord, because we don't want to be seen as weak. We always want to be strong. We want to win. And sometimes we even use your name wrongly because we are Christians. We don't want to allow people to step over us. So we want to be uh, a triumphant and we respond in the wrong way. Holy Spirit, will you bring conviction in our hearts this evening? Lord, if we have been guilty or wrong in these areas, Lord, help us so that we can learn. Holy Spirit, enable us so that the next time someone comes against us, Lord, you will catch us that we will not say the wrong things, but even when the word comes out, it will be a word of blessing. It will be a word of grace. It will be a word of honor. And people may be unreasonable with us, Lord, but Lord, we will do our very best because we are reminded we are not really doing it for them. We are doing it for you. That at the end, Lord, you will receive all glory and all honor. And we hold you to your word, Lord. It says, Vengeance is yours. You are the one who judges the best way and that you will repay and we trust you. And so we thank you, Lord. As we close, we ask you, Lord, dismiss us with your love and with your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.